630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. My goodness gracious, the long weekend is here. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're able to enjoy it. Thanks for starting it with Inside Sports on 630 Chad. My name is Reed Wilkins. We will have a very interesting guest between 730 and 8 tonight. Ricky Cobb is going to check in. He is the brain behind a often hilarious and uh, often a little naughty Twitter account called Super 70s Sports. Super 70s Sports. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about, and it's probably made you raise an eyebrow or chuckle a time or two. Uh, I'm looking forward to this interview. We'll get the story behind that from Ricky. Oilers news today. Well, it's about a past oiler. Alish Hemsky has retired. Into the Detroit zone. Hemsky trying to work in now. Samsonov. He got it to Hemsky. He scores! Alish Hemsky with 106 to go in the third period. Oh, a miracle goal by the Oilers. They have a 4-3 lead with 106 to play. Welcome aboard to Alish Hemsky. Saves the best for last in the series until late in the third period of a game the Oilers trailed by one he ties the score now gives them the lead with 66 seconds to go that from May 1st 2006 Rod Phillips and Morley Scott on the call and I'm sure you remember that game the Oilers at home for game six against Detroit in the first round trailing the wings 3-2, however, with four minutes to go. Hemsky scores at 16.07, scores again that goal at 18.54. The Oilers would win the series, and of course, they would advance all the way to the Stanley Cup final before being bested by the Carolina Hurricanes. We welcome our in-game analyst for our Oilers broadcast here on 6.30, Ched, my good buddy Rob Brown, back to the show. Hey, Rob, how are you doing? I'm doing very good, Reed. How are you tonight? I'm doing awesome. Great to have you on the show again. Hope you and the family are are doing well. I imagine you, like you've been pumping so much iron during this pandemic. Like how muscular are you going to be the next time I see you? Oh, my God. I'm not doing weights. All I do is walk. I feel like I'm Forrest Gump right now. I walked like 25K yesterday. I walked, I think, 15 today. I get up every morning and just walk. When you're unemployed 12 different ways, Reed, you're looking for ways to make 16 hours go by. So, now, where are you walking? Like just around St. Albert? Do you go out yeah, to the countryside? Yeah. I, I live right on the river, so we have this uh, these paths. So every day I get up around, see, I wake up at 6 every day before my family does, so I just go out and just walk, put my headphones on and walk for about, I don't know, hour and a half, two hours I'm home. By then, the family's just starting to get up, and we start our day. So, yeah, it. Uh, and for me now too, when I go grocery shopping, or just if I need, hey, Holly's like, hey, we need some bacon, so I walk to Safeway and back. Hey, we need something, so I walk to Costco and back. So yeah, I'm look. I need something to start. Read. I need an arena open. I need an other team to start playing <laughs> hockey, or I'm going to just end up walking across Canada. Well. That's walking is good for you though, so I'm glad you're doing that, and I'm glad you've you've committed to it, and and you are already in pretty good shape, so so that's that's good to know. Alice Hemsky, I mean, he hadn't played since. I, I got to admit, I, I was talking to Brendan Escott earlier. 
And, and I had to admit, I, I thought he'd already retired, but he does make it official today. He hadn't played a game since October of 2017, but a, a chance for Oilers fans to, to look back on his career, most of it with the Oilers. He was a first-round pick, 13th overall of the team in 2001. He had 77 points one year, 71 another year, 66 in another year. Um, you know, I, and I know from we, you and I only overlapped well, one year, him playing with the Oilers doing the post-game show uh, but you and Dan talked about him a lot. He, he was he was he was interesting because he was always one of those players. He was at or near the top of the Oilers score sheet. Um, yet he often got criticized a lot, I thought, too. Well, it's funny. You sent me the text to, to, to be on the show tonight. and You said we're going to talk about Alice uh, Hemsky retiring. And I texted back. I didn't. Where was he? I didn't know he was playing. Um, so I, it was surprising, as you said, it's been a few years since he's played. To me, Alice was an incredibly talented hockey player. And at one point, I think Gretzky came out and said he was the most talented player in the league at that time. I always thought he was pretty, but not productive. I I, I think that with the talent level he had, uh, the numbers could have and and should have been bigger because he was incredibly talented. I think he sometimes got a bad rap as a player uh, and I don't think he was appreciated for as good a, a two-way player he was. I think he should have been better offensively than he the numbers he put up. But his his defensive abilities were better than I think he got credit for. He was not afraid to block shots. He was not afraid to get in the, in the proper lanes. He was good on the back check. Um, he, he was a, a very good oiler. Unfortunately, he played on oiler teams that, for the most part, weren't as good as as could have been. And he was probably the, the poster boy of that because he was a player with immense talent that never had the 80, 90, 95-point seasons when he was certainly capable of it just because of the God-given talent that he had. Well, and, and, and you're right. I mean, after the 06 Cup run, the Oilers entered, I mean, one of the worst decades, obviously, in the history of the NHL. There's no other way to put it, and he was around for a little over half that I, I wouldn't pin that on him the team wasn't deep enough and as much as he was a very you know good player did he always have the guys who could play with him or see the I, I mean I remember like people would always complain about his turnovers and I always thought you know you know fair enough but he has the puck a hell of a lot and he's trying to make plays because there aren't a lot of playmakers on this team well any if you look at the end of the season when it comes to turnovers the the guys that lead the league are always the best players because they have the puck so often so I never really look at, at turnovers as, as a negative. It just, as you said, he had the puck all the time, and he his skill level was higher than anyone else on his team. So it was hard for him to uh, to make the plays. We we see when Connor McDavid and Leon play together how much better they are than when they were separated. When when Leon was playing with, uh, you know, Milan Lucic or so and so, or with Newton Hopkins, if you're not playing with guys that are capable of playing at your level. It's hard to to be as good as you are. And Alashansky certainly had that problem. Um, I think he will go down as a a, a, a a very good Edmonton Oiler. I think when you look back over the, the history of the Oilers, yeah, he was, he was a good Oiler. And he'll never be considered a great Oiler. But I think he was a good Oiler that was incredibly talented. I had a chance to meet him a few times. I played golf with him. Uh, a very nice young man that uh, probably never, whether it's through his fault or through the fault of a team that never put or an organization never put the players near him never lived up to the uh level 
uh, of talent that he had. And I think uh, I think part of it is on him and part of it is on the organization because he his his stats and his accomplishments probably should have been better than what they are. Yeah, he's an interesting player to to talk about, and and no doubt that that he had a lot of talents. And and I I find that interesting how you use that phrase like pretty, but not often productive. Like because like I mean he would take hits, he would try to get to the net and and stuff. But did you did you feel there was a little too much sideways in his game, or he was that one extra move type of guy? Well, he was he's a guy that at the end of the night he'll have he'll have set up an incredible play. And he has one assist, and in in, in a a four two loss. And you look at a player like uh, a Leon, or or Connor McDavid, who at the end of the night, I mean, you knew that they were good. They didn't have well, Connor's hard to explain it, but Leon, he didn't have a, a night where he made five or six incredible plays, but he ends the night with four points because he was productive. Yeah, sometimes it was something subtle. Sometimes he just makes that one perfect pass. Uh, it, it was never Leon's game is not always about being pretty, but he's always productive. On the other hand, Hemsky, uh, he'll have that one incredible play on a weekend that it, it's a, a TSM uh, play of the night. That'll be a play of the night for the next two weeks. But over the course of a, a three-game stretch, he's only got that one play. So it, to me, he just was never productive enough to be considered a, a great player here, and his teams. Uh, I mean, again, the Oilers didn't build a good team around him, but he never brought other players up to his level. Leon Dreisaitl makes other players better. Connor McDavid makes other players better. Alex Hemsky, he was good, but he never brought the other players up to his level, in my opinion. Rob Brown joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Alex Hemsky retiring. He Again, he hadn't played since October 2017, the majority of his career with the uh, Edmonton Oilers. And we played the highlight from one of his – well, I guess he also scored the goal where Stefan uh, missed the net, didn't he? He did. The, that was, I mean, <laughs> again, when you talk about pretty plays, and it's funny, it, you go back over the last – not how many years ago that was, but over the last 15 years, or go from – I mean – there's certain things that have happened at Edmonton. That to me, that's in the top five things that I remember from going to an Oilers game. Like you throw in some of the playoff games, you throw in Jarrett's, or excuse me, um, the, the Sam Gagne's huge eight-point night, and that goal that Hemsky scored when uh, Patrick Stefan missed the empty net. I mean, to me, that is a, a moment that I will remember being at an Oilers game. It was just an incredible end to a hockey game. Is that? Let me ask this about that play. We've never really talked about it. Is that an all-time blooper on Stefan or just on some bad luck? Because it's not like he was trying to showboat or pick a corner. I mean, he was just like, don't guys score? Aren't there a hundred empty net goals scored like that a year where a guy's just in alone and gently glides it into the net? Or did you think he messed something up there? No, to me, it's bad luck. And I'm a huge fan of Ray Farrell as an analyst. And I remember that night he went off on Patrick Stefan that he, he called him a bunch of names said this is embarrassing. This player's got to be better than that and on and on and on. To me, it was just bad luck. Uh, again, as you said, he didn't, he wasn't showboating. He wasn't coming in there trying to shoot the puck off the crossbar, coming in, uh, making a, a big show to, to show up the other team. He came down and just as he was pushing in the net, the puck bounced over his stick and you could just see in his body language, like, Oh my God, what just happened? Um, so to me, it was, it was a mistake that's going to, I mean, it's going to be on highlight reels forever and haunt Patrick Stefan, but it was bad luck that the Oilers 
turned into something special because they had to make three great plays after that because they had to get the down the other end of the ice and score a goal within six seconds, and they did. Right. So I think, to me, I don't look at much as Patrick Stefan having a, a blooper. I look at a, a, an incredible play that the Oilers turned sheer defeat into a goal in the other end, and, and three players made three great plays. All right, Alex Chason was on with me last night. It was always good to catch up with him. He's in Edmonton trying to stay in shape, doing some cooking, and wants to finish the season. And he said, Rob, that, that he is, is totally fine with and really would support an expanded playoff of up to 24 teams. And, you know, I thought it was good how he said it. He said, look, we're in, but there are some teams that are one or two, three points out and might not get to finish the regular season, so they shouldn't be eliminated because of that. Now, we don't know if practically the NHL uh, would be able to do that, but I thought that was, uh, you know, a pretty fair comment from Alex because I it would I, it would be easy to say, well, we're in, so I don't care what they do behind us. But but he was thinking about the what he thinks is the fairest way to do it if it comes to that. Well, and, and what I like about it too, and, and which makes sense, is if they if they want to finish the regular season, well, now there's a lot of things that come into play because the, the travel because they want they want to have the, the four hub cities or something along that line so they have to have the teams stuck there well there's going to be teams that are right finishing the regular season aren't going to be in the hub cities at the end because they're not going to be playoff teams because somebody is playing the detroit it's the la's uh teams like that so it, it just logistically doesn't make sense so instead you know what anyone that's on the cusp that has a chance with a good finish, can make the playoffs. We're going to put them in, and we're going to have a big tournament that way. I like it. It's fun. Now, again, it's it's not what we normally see, but these aren't normal times. And I think you have to get a little creative. You have to think outside of the box and see what what can we do that is the fairest possible that allows us to finish a season in a topsy-turvy world. And I think the players appreciate that. Everyone right now, from Alex Chason to Connor McDavid to Sidney Crosby to anyone around the league, knows that uh, the world is different today. And they understand that as they're sitting in their house in quarantine with their families. They all are itching to get back playing and trying to find some normalcy in their life. And whatever they have to do, whether it be a 24-game series, whether it be going to a hub city, whether it be uh, an NCAA bracket-type turn, whatever it takes for them to get back doing what they love and get back to a little more normal in their life, the players are willing to do that. And if that means having a 24-team or a or whatever type tournament to, to find your Stanley Cup champion. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how many teams you start with. One team at the end will be the best team. And that team is normally the team that deserves to win the Stanley Cup anyway. So you can have 24, you can have 30, you can have 16, whatever you decide to have. The best team at the end of it is going to be the best team. And they're going to deserve that cup. Yeah, and, and I, I, I don't, I, I'm at the point where I don't think we're going to see the regular season finished unless they do maybe a little mini regular season to determine some seeding within a division. But I, I've said this several times, Rob, and look, we've covered some Oilers teams that were in this sort of position and way out of it with 11 games to go. Like, how do you bring the Detroit Red Wings back for 11 games? They have 39 points. They're m- minus 122 goal differential. And I know the flip side to that is maybe they're eight or nine months without playing if the next season doesn't start to December or January. But I don't know how you can throw a, a, a team like that back into the into the into the thick of it for games that'll matter for some other teams and expect any sort of competitive balance or fairness to the schedule. 
Well, you're right. I mean, what kind of effort, uh, what kind of mental strength are you going to get out of those players when they come and play? They they know, okay, all right, uh, we got... We're starting on July 6th, and on July 21, we're back home. Right. Let's just get this over with and and be done with it because I want to get back to the lake because there's nothing I'm playing for right now. So, yeah, you don't want that. You want to make sure you keep the integrity of the game as as high as you can. And, all right, so Detroit's done. You know what? They're going to have a longer offseason. Well, I guess they should have been better last year, and they wouldn't have to be going through this. Uh, But we're going to take the best 24 teams, any team, and and, and really – Reed, anyone in the top 24 has a legitimate chance to go on a little bit of a run. There, I mean, there's always five or six elite teams in the league, and then there's a whole group of teams that are around the same that have the ability to go on a run but also have the ability to be gone in three games. So uh, I, I think you're going to have a very competitive tournament whenever and if ever it starts. And it's going to be exciting. To me, if, if it does start, and I said this a while ago, the cool thing about it is for the first time probably ever, if this starts, every team will be healthy. Yep. And we know that usually when playoffs start, one of the biggest things at the end of the team, whatever team wins, or the top, whoever the top four teams are, they always have some puck luck, but they also have injury luck. They're the teams that have stayed the healthiest throughout the playoffs. And that's what gets them through it because they were able to stay healthy. They get luck that way. Well, right now, every team is going to come into the playoffs or whatever they do healthy. And I think that is huge, which should make for some of the best hockey that we've ever seen come playoff time because you are seeing the absolute best of every team because everyone's going to have their full complement of players. Rob, always fun to catch up with you. Have a good walk tomorrow morning, buddy. <laughs> Thanks very much. Enjoy your weekend. That is former NHLer Rob Brown, our Inside the Game analyst for Oilers broadcast here on 630 Chat. We're back after the break. Got a text here from Cowtown Bob. He says, hi, Reed. I always believed Alish Hemsky was a great player, but I was always expecting him to get greater. Somehow he never achieved those heights. Perhaps his team just needed to be better as he was great during the Oilers' run of 2006. The number to text is 780-496-0063. That is also the number to call. You can email me, inside sports at 630CHED.com. Well, this ought to be fun. The guy behind the Super 70 Sports Twitter account. It is a bit of a strange one. Global News at 7.30. Good evening. I'm Thomas. Shemsky retires, had not played in the NHL since October of 2017. Most of his career with the Oilers. Luke writing in to 780-496-0063 says, Hey, Reed, I think Hemsky was one of the most underrated Oilers. He had speed to get back after a turnover, which was excellent. If he was five years younger, he would be a good fit for the current team. But I digress. Well, Hemsky is a second-line player uh, with players like... Dry Settle and McDavid on the roster. Yeah, he uh, would have been a perfect fit for that. Wouldn't have faced as many tough matchups and uh, still would have been playing with some pretty talented players. But it did not work out that way for Hemsky in his career. Part of that memorable Oilers run to the cup final in 2006. Hey, thanks for checking in tonight. Hope you're off. Uh, long weekend is off to a great start. I know it's uh, difficult times, different times for, well, pretty much everybody. I think even if you're 
even if your job has survived this and you've been working full time, uh, I'm sure everything still feels differently and a lot of things are different. So I hope Inside Sports offers you what you need during your day. It, it really is a pleasure to be broadcasting to you. I'm set up in uh, my spare room here in my house. I, I call it my office because it's where I, uh, I keep my laptop and a bookshelf. It's not a luxurious room. But I, I, uh, I feel like a king being able to talk to all of you every night. And hopefully we give you some laughs in this next segment because the Twitter account that this guy runs, Super 70 Sports, has often made me chuckle. I bring you the brain behind it. I hope he doesn't mind being introduced that way. It is Ricky Cobb. Ricky, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Hey, Reed, how are you? And that introduction is just fine. I've, I've been called a lot worse, believe me. <laughs> well, I got to say, I think it was Jack Michaels who does the play-by-play for the Oilers on the radio here in Edmonton who got me onto your account, I don't know, probably three years ago or so. And uh, it often makes me laugh. I can't read all the tweets, obviously, on, on AM radio because sometimes you'll put in a cheeky word or two. But uh, there's some pretty funny stuff with some pretty funny pictures. A few hours ago... You posted a picture of Wayne Gretzky from 1982 with a box of Pro Stars. That was his uh, serial, and the caption says, Wayne Gretzky promised himself if he scored 200 points, he'd buy the sweetest corduroy jacket ever and head down to the Sears Portrait Studio with a box of his crappy cereal. And Wayne Gretzky doesn't break self-promises. So nobody's off limits for you, Ricky. You're all in with this, baby. I'm all in with it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm equal opportunity. I'll, I'll have fun with anyone or anything, but for the most part, unless somebody really, really deserves it, uh, you know, it's all in good fun, and, and of course, Gretzky is—he—he he is the great one, in my opinion, the best that ever played. So, tell me how this got started for you, and I, and I should point out, if people like, we're not talking to a niche Twitter account. Like, you have all—you have three hundred sixty-two thousand followers on Twitter. How did this start for you? Yeah, well, it, it, it started from a very, very small place of me just beginning a Twitter account without really knowing what I wanted to do with it. And I, I don't think I had any ambitions initially other than have a little bit of fun. Maybe my buddies would like it. And I doubt that I gave it a lot more thought than that. And, uh, you know, to be here some five years later with uh, the following that I've developed, I feel very, very fortunate. It is a blast. Now, did you always have this sort of a sense of humor that you would display publicly, or was this something maybe you kept hidden from people and then you've let it loose online? (laughs) Uh, Well, I think if you know me well, my sense of humor probably wouldn't be a surprise. Uh, to people that maybe don't know me as well, you know, I'm a college professor by, by trade. So uh, my students through the years could probably tell you that uh, that they would know the same personality that you see in some of these tweets because, I, you know, I think the essence of the account is is me. And the account is basically what I sound like if I'm hanging out with my friends and I consider uh, all of my Twitter followers to be my friends, so I'm just going to talk to to everybody the same way that I would if I was having a couple of beers with my buddies. What university do you teach at, and what is your area of expertise, Ricky? Well, I'm a sociology professor, and I teach at Marine Valley, which is a a community college out in the southwest uh, suburbs here in Chicago. 
<laughs> that is amazing. That that is amazing. So, when your students, did you tell your students right up front, okay, I'm I'm the guy, or do you kind of let them find out organically? I'm curious. I, I let them find out organically, uh, you know, to the extent that they find out. Uh, there was a there was a really nice piece that was written about me in the Chicago Tribune last year, and it was during the middle of a semester, and so some of my students saw it uh, in the sports page and asked me about it during class. So I kind of got put on the spot that day and uh, it turned into a little bit of an impromptu show and tell session, but, but ordinarily it's not something that I talk about because it, it always feels like there's no way to really move the conversation over to that. That doesn't seem like uh, me trying to pat myself on the back, you know? So are you the only contributor or as the site's gotten bigger, will you take suggestions or, or submissions from other people for content? Well, it, it's always been a, a, a solo uh, endeavor as far as the creative side of it. My, you know, as we've as we've moved into uh, starting an apparel brand and things like that, my my wife Amy has been instrumental in the business side of things because I certainly never anticipated that there would be a business uh, side of things when I when I began this. But uh, as far as the content goes, it's all me. It's always just been me. Although I certainly do welcome uh, suggestions and ideas and, and photos and things like that, you know, and people are people are quite generous to to, to send me the weird pictures that they find. You know, I'll, I always say that, uh, you know, the, the niche that I've carved out for myself is being the guy who, if, you know, if you don't know where else to to send uh, the, the that weird photo of. Uh, uh, that you know, Mr. Spock, uh, you know, do, doing something crazy or whatever, uh, you, you can send it to me because uh, I, I'll probably figure out a way to uh, write a joke and, and tweet it out. So, what does your wife think of this, or has that changed well, over the years? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that as as the following has gotten bigger and there has you know there's been more uh, notoriety and so forth with it, and it's become. Uh, you know, certainly for us, a, a, a business and, and something that is quite time consuming, but but a labor of love. Uh, I, I think she's grown to 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 really enjoy it. I don't know that I don't know that she necessarily gets all my jokes. I don't think she's my my target de- demographic uh, comedically, but uh, but I, I think that she's always been a really great supporter, and and I appreciate that uh, about her. So why did you decide to name it Super 70 Sports? Because you do have photos and content spanning several eras of sports. It's not just restricted to the 1970s. Yeah, I, you know, if I had it to do over again, I, I probably would have picked a name that, that wasn't quite as constrictive or at least that, uh, you know, didn't lead people to, to believe that I was only going to post sports or only going to post things from the 70s. But when I, be, when I began the account, I thought I was going to post things about sports in the 70s, and I, I couldn't have even began to have imagined that this was going to be something that had legs that you know people were going to like that would that would uh, accumulate such a following so uh the, the the truth as far as the name goes is i probably put very 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 little thought into it and uh you know now like it or not uh, i think that's the name that i'm going to carry around with me forever so <laughs> i've grown to uh 
I've, I've grown to like the name, and, and now I, it would be hard for, for me to imagine calling it anything else. Ricky Cobb joining us on Inside Sports, the creator of the Twitter account Super 70 Sports. I've been scrolling it. Uh, I mean, you got a funny aerobics video. Uh, you got two dogs teaming up to carry a stick under a log. Uh, you got so you got a funny Elton John doll with a uh, caption. I don't think I can say that caption on the show, but it made me laugh. So, have you? Has anybody that you've ever sort of poked at in the account, like as an athlete, have ever got in touch with you and said, "Hey, I like that," or like, "Hey, buddy, come on"? Like, if you got, ever got any of that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I certainly have made a lot of friends and acquaintances in uh, in sports and in entertainment, and uh, just about all of it has been uniformly positive, believe it or not. Uh, I, I feel like I'm overdue for somebody to want to wanna give me a butt kicking, but, uh, you know, amazingly, it hasn't happened yet, so... Maybe I'm maybe I'm more charming than I give myself credit for, or maybe I'm maybe I'm overdue. But uh, believe it or not, nobody has uh, you know ever come after me and said, "Hey, pal, you know I, I don't appreciate your your, your smart mouth," you know. Uh, but <laughs> but I certainly have uh, I certainly have gained a lot of followers, uh, uh, you know, of uh, athletes and personalities that I've tweeted about, and and I've made some friends as well. So it's 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 been a lot of fun. You know, just judging from a lot of the cultural references, were you born between, say, 1968 and 1976? You are, you're right, almost right in the middle of that, 71. Okay, because, I mean, I was born in 74, and just some of the references to 80s TV yeah. and action figures and the odd video game reference, I, I, I <laughs> that's why, but, but I, I, I think the, the first, the first few tweets of yours that really made me laugh um and you still do it occasionally you you enjoy the references to the um tighter fitting uniforms and shorts of the nba in the 1970s <laughs> <laughs> yeah that what were we what were we as a society uh thinking you know shorts shorts don't necessarily have to accomplish a lot but they're supposed <laughs> to at least cover up all of the all of the personal things. So uh, I don't know why in the 1970s we, we didn't realize that, you know, maybe a little bit more fabric uh, was just for the overall good. <laughs> That's a great point. Uh, have you ever thought, and, and look, I, I'm just being honest with people. It's, it's, I mean, you will use profanity. You will be cheeky, but they're not all like that. There's a lot of just kind of goofy, sarcastic humor as well. Uh, but when it comes to doing something that is a little more R-rated, have you toned that down? Do you just not care? Do you just kind of go with your gut on that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's really a go with your gut thing. I, you know, I'm my, I'm the only editor that I have, so that's kind of a blessing and a curse, probably, because I, I'm able to get away and uh, you know do some things that I wouldn't be able to if I was working for a mainstream media outlet, but. At the same time, uh, you know, it, it, that puts the onus on my shoulders. And, you know, if I, if I tweet something out there and, uh, you know, I cross a line or whatnot, then I'm the guy who's going to have to, uh, you know, put that weight on his shoulders. But, uh, yeah, you know, the language is something that people ask me about uh, pretty frequently. Uh, you know, there's certainly uh, a fair amount of profanity in the feed, but that's how I talk. 
And if somebody was hanging out for me, you know, it's killing me right now, Reed, just to get through this segment without uh, without needing to get bleeped. Is I'm I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna go have a drink and uh, you know congratulate congratulate myself like I'm an air traffic controller that just you know uh, uh, brought the plane down uh, you know that uh, a passenger was flying or something. This is high pressure, but I, but I'm a cursor, you know. It's just the way it is, and it's not for everybody. But uh, you know, it's certainly not intended to be uh, gratuitous or used in a gross way or anything like that. It's uh, you know, I tell people that, uh, you know, you can think of those words sometimes as uh, condiments for, for language, right? It's, <laughs> That's a, it's a, good a little point. ketchup and mustard on the on the hot dog. Well, you're doing a great job, and thanks for, for respecting our medium and, and audience for sure. If we met under dis- different circumstances, I'm sure we would have been using a lot of different words. It's too bad I didn't know you when the NHL draft was in Chicago because I probably went by close to where you live because I went to a Def Leppard concert in Tinley Park. <laughs> so okay yeah yeah that you were definitely swinging through my uh my area of chicago land and uh and uh, demonstrating some pretty fantastic musical taste i might add oh good well thank you very much i'm, I, I'm glad to hear that too so chicago so what's the the passion for you uh you know the bulls had a great run hawks bears uh one of the baseball teams do you have a do you have a preference well, the only the only local Chicago team that I claim is my own is the Cubs, and that's really that's really been the case since the '80s. But I was born and raised in Kentucky, so mm. I uh, I lived until until I was in my early 30s in Kentucky. And of course, we don't have any uh, major league level professional teams in Kentucky, so I was a little bit of a free agent fan as a kid. So I, I sort of just followed the teams that. I found interesting for for whatever reason, and I became a Cubs fan back in the in the early '80s when we got WGN on the on cable, and I got to listen to Harry Carey every afternoon when I would get home from school. So uh, when I when I did move to Chicago, uh, one of, one of the big selling points for me was that I knew that I was going to be able to get out to Wrigley Field a lot. Yeah, that's cool. Unfortunately, I, I was not able to go there when I was there, so still someplace uh, I, I would like to. I, I would like to visit now. I, I, again, I'm, you're not originally from Chicago, but are you watching The Last Dance, the documentary about the Bulls? Has that pulled you in? Yeah, it really has pulled me in. I, uh, I I'm enjoying it and, and looking forward to the to the last installments and. You know, frankly, it's been so entertaining. I'm going to be a little sad. I think probably a lot of us are going to be a little bummed out that uh, that it's over uh, after the next couple of episodes. But it's it's certainly been really fascinating to watch that, and and I think it's been kind of fun, uh, you know, in a way to see, you know, it's something finally in our very fractured society uh, that kind of everybody's watching. <laughs> so it's it's almost like uh, when we were kids and there were only a handful of. Uh, TV networks and everybody kind of understood what was on, and you could have water cooler conversation. Uh, so it, you know, it's been fun to see everybody uh, having the dialogue about the uh, about the Jordan episodes as we, as we've gone through these past several weeks. Well, see, we're we're really connecting here. I like your sense of humor. You like Def Leppard. Uh, we both like sports, and you're speaking my language with the TV channels, and I've told this to my audience here in Edmonton. I grew up in a town that's about 100 kilometers, 60 miles away from Edmonton, and we had two television channels, 
but the Oilers games were on a third channel and my dad had to attach a device to our aerial on the roof that rotated the aerial so we could get the Oilers games, but then we didn't get the other two channels at the same time. <laughs> yeah, you had to you had to make you had to make your choice, right? I mean, you you had to align with the Oilers uh, big time. That was a commitment. That's so, right. <laughs> that's that's how you that's how you separate. That's how you become a real fan early on. You're sacrificing all your other entertainment to be able to see that game literally. Well, Ricky, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, entertaining us here and uh, letting us know uh, about the brain behind Super 70 Sports. It's a very fun account. I, I hope some people are able to check it out tonight if they aren't already. And, hey, uh, you stay safe there. Hope things uh, get better on your side of the border soon as well. Take care, man. Well, Reed, thank you so much for having me on, and I, I wish you guys the best as well, and hopefully we'll all get through this together and better days are ahead. Right on. That is Ricky Cobb checking in tonight, the creator of the Twitter account Super 70s Sports. And I was scrolling that throughout the entire interview and uh, having a lot of chuckles to myself. It's 7.52. We'll take a quick timeout. thing we haven't been able to do kellen is deliver the canned hams to people's homes when they subscribe to the podcast because you do get a canned ham with that we got all the canned hams that david letterman didn't give out when his show ended we got them in the storage uh hanger at six thirty. We, we do have a storage hanger it's quite beautiful yeah it's where halls it's where halsey keeps his chopper it's all locked up right now so i can't you get what he it. calls it gray thunder all right well so that one bombed didn't it you don't remember Blue Thunder, Kellen? Uh, depends on what uh, variation of it. The chopper, the the, the the amazing helicopter that could fly around and do stuff. Roy Scheider was in it. I remember the, the. I remember the monster truck. Blue, Blue Thunder. Blue Thunder. Don't get me started on monster trucks. Blue Thunder was uh, a uh, super powered uh, helicopter, and there was a TV show about it. Anyway, ah. you heard from Rob Brown and uh, Ricky Cobb tonight. Now, last week on Friday, something that usually happened didn't happen because we had a little bit of an issue. Oh, it's happening tonight, though. It's on CD now. Dave Campbell's the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy is your studio operator. Hey, hope you have a great long weekend. Be smart out there, but I hope you're able to enjoy yourself, get some exercise, get some fresh air, engage in some of your hobbies. We're going to have a best-of show on Monday from 7 to 8 and back with a live edition of Inside Sports Tuesday at 7. My name is Reed Wilkins. I appreciate you. Take care. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.